Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and glory for being a God who comes into our world. And as we have slowed down, as we have taken a moment to consider what it is to be pursued by you, may we look into your eyes and discover new things, discover things that you have set before us things that you are teaching us. So, Heavenly Father, we ask for your peace, for your love, for the opportunity to be found in you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. The challenge in this sermon series is to consider what it is to be in relationship with a God who is absolutely pursuing you. We're, we're looking at this relationship with more intensity than I think we typically put on it. And we've before, last week, we talked about this idea that so many of us are comfortable with God's love being a fatherly type of love, a dad welcoming us, the safety, the security of that. Um, we know what it's like to prepare ourselves to go to mom and dad's house for a meal, for dinner. But the challenge in this sermon series is for us to look at the love of Jesus through the eyes of someone who is utterly pursued by God, who doesn't just welcome us, but who desperately wants to be in our presence, who celebrates being in our presence. The image instead of a father opening his arms and saying, you're safe, come in here. But the image that we want for us this season is for us to be on a date across a table, a beautiful table with wine and flowers and good food, and to be looking into the eyes of a Savior who loves us so deeply, so intimately, has done everything for us and pursues us to the very end of the earth. To realize that God's love, yes, is the love of a father, but also the love of a lover. Son of Solomon, we talked about last week. Revelation 21, he comes to us, prepares us as a bride, takes us up. All of this imagery that to bring, to add to what we see through the eyes of Jesus. So, so the, the things that we look into, and when we see the perfect pursuer, what would we see? That's what we're going to be just talking about, filling up this image of a pursued kind of love. And today, I'm starting with, I think, as a, as a beautiful place and an important place, is that Love involves sacrifice. Love involves sacrifice. You think about the great um, romantic movies 
They're great romantic stories. And there's these lovers that are coming together and they're enjoying each other. And, and then one of them has to sacrifice for the other. One of them has to give up something for the other. And it's usually that moment in the movie when our heart starts to break. And we get so sad because whatever that person had to give up. As I was considering this idea of sacrifice, there was one image that just came to mind. And I'm going to give you a moment. And I want you to wonder, okay, so as I've um, given you a little prelude to it, what movie do you think is about to show up on the screen? What scene? It's a pretty big one. It's a pretty classic one. Just pause. Okay, I'm guessing he's going to show us this. Anybody else go there? Anybody else when, on Titanic? When here they are, and I mean, this is the great debate, right, that's run throughout the last 30 years of American history. Was there room on the door for Jack, right? Did he have to sacrifice himself into the Atlantic Ocean for Rose? I mean, no one will ever know. This is the great question that we leave. But we have this scene where his love for her involves sacrifice, I want you to be safe. I want you to have. I want you to know what it is to have life. And I'll give up everything, even floating slowly to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, this scene, I think, you know, when you first saw it, I had friends. I mean, I was, I'm that perfect age for this movie. I was old enough for, you know, my friends to just see it on repeat over and over. And I had one, like, friend who I think saw it eight or nine times in theaters and just... <laughs> It just brought her all the feels of this, of this movie. And it is, it is a good movie. If you haven't seen it recently. It's worth watching again. But, but the moment of sacrifice, why does this hit us so much? I think it hits us so much is because sacrifice is foreign to us as humans. If you think about our sin condition, sacrifice is not our first move. Our first move is protection. Making sure I survive longer. Right, Even on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that is the most basic thing. The, the gene pool is trying to continue through and make it safely, so sacrifice doesn't make sense. You look at the scriptures, very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can become the most important person. You can be like the one who created everything. Oh, that's a pretty good deal. Me? I can have that kind of power? Yeah. Oh. And we start to think about our own stuff, our own needs, our own self. We are so good at thinking about things through our own eyes, our own perspective, valuing our own needs. It is just the sin condition in all of us. We all share it. In here, we all share it. Um, more verses you go through. Um, here we have Philippians 2 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And you go, What? Nothing? I'm really good at selfish ambition. I'm really good at putting myself first, of trying to think of myself above everything. Or, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. 
Sacrifice is so foreign to us because it is not our default move. Our default move is protecting ourselves, is making sure we stay safe, making sure we have what we need. And so we see Jack and Rose on the, on the, the door, and you think, that's incredible. Giving up himself so she can have. I can't imagine myself doing that. And we're in awe of that kind of thing. I like to call this, this idea of our, you know, we are so good at selfishness. This is the two bowl of ice cream theory that I have. And you, you are a liar if you tell me you don't do this, okay? You stoop two bowls of ice cream and you're about to bring it to your beloved. And as you're carrying it, you are deciding which one is yours and which one is theirs. Right now, you may do something different with your decision. Maybe you're trying to lose weight. Okay, I'll give him the more one so I can have the less one. But what's that about? You! Or, as if you're a normal human being, you want to have more ice cream. Why? Ice cream is delicious. (laughs) It is straight from Jesus right into our mouths. Right? If communion were ice cream, the whole country would show up and be like, at least I got some ice cream today. We walk down, and as you're walking, you're thinking, okay, Emily gets this one. Have you ever come to the table then? They've got to leave the table, and you come back, and she's at the wrong bowl of ice cream? Do you say something? Not if you want to stay happily married. You don't say anything. But in your heart, you're going, dang it. I got the wrong bowl of ice cream. And we're just so good at this. We are just so, so, so good at this. It just comes to us. You do not have to train a child to learn to seek after their own ambition. I am in the stage of my life where I have a five-year-old I have a seven-year-old, and I have a 12-year-old. And whatever I do, whatever I do, it's not fair. Somebody is telling me it's not fair because I got a brownie, but I got a cookie, but I wanted a brownie, and I want a cookie. And just yesterday, well, I want to ride that scooter, but what about this scooter? No. And then as soon as they gave up the scooter and rode the bike, the other says, actually, I want to ride that bike. Are you kidding me? This is, this is every moment of every day. So then... We hear these verses, we, we see these things, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Uh, do not think of yourself first. And we start to consider, how, how can that be? Because I want to choose my bowl of ice cream. And then we're sitting across the table from Jesus. And we see in his eyes one who will sacrifice himself utterly for us. John Um, Chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. When we consider sacrifice, I think there's an important core of what it is to give ourselves for somebody else, what it is to understand what sacrifice is. Jesus says, I no longer consider you slaves. You are no longer servants any longer. Instead, you are my friends. The word here that Jesus uses or that John uses is this word doulos, which this is a word for slave or servant. And in the Roman times, this word meant somebody who is, is not a person. Because slaves, servants, they were property. They were things to be used in order to get what you needed. So, you know, my selfish ambition, my needs, you are my tool to get there. That's what a slave or a servant was. Um, there's a great book, Dominion, by Tom Holland. And, and what he talks about and what he teaches is that the relationship between a slave and a master was one where the master could do anything to the slave and culture, nobody would stop them because that was an instrument to benefit you. If another human is but an instrument to benefit you, you will not sacrifice for them. You will not give up for them because their goal is to make you more comfortable. I think the amazing thing about sacrifice is in order for us to understand sacrifice, we have to begin by understanding the value in the other person. So what Jesus does is he says, I no longer call you slaves. You are no longer less than Instead, you are my friends. I see you as a valuable creation. I see you as worthy. I see you as my beloved. And when a person becomes an actual person and no longer a tool, now sacrifice starts to make sense. So inherent in sacrifice is understanding the value of the other. As long as I consider the other person a doulas, I will not sacrifice for them. But when I understand the value of the other, I will then sacrifice for them. So how does Jesus value them? Well, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Christ chooses. Christ has come as a human, and in coming as a human, has given value, dignity, honor to every human. So when we look across the table at somebody, 
We cannot see them as a doulos, as, as a tool to serve our needs. But instead, we need to see them as someone who Christ came for, valued, and called his beloved. This is the first move in sacrifice. Understanding that Christ came as a human, gave dignity to humanity, chose us, is with us, therefore we look at every other human on the earth and see value in them because God sees value in them. So we do not have the choice to say, you're not worthy of my sacrifice. You're not worthy of my love. You're not worthy of compassion or forgiveness. Why? Because their value is inherent in who God is and what he has done for them. And in that then, we can start to understand what it would be to give up ourselves so that they can have life. So Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to give up one's life for his friends. And he says this before he goes to the cross. And so then you can imagine, as Jesus is going to the cross, as he is going to give his life up, the disciples running, scared, looking at the cross, and at some point remembering this statement and going, by his sacrifice... He has told me once again that I am his friend. I'm his beloved. He has just proved the love for me and has given me value and worth. Greater love has no one than this than to give up one's life for his friends. Jesus gave up his life for you. And he calls you his friend. Jesus gave up his life for your neighbor, for your enemy, and calls them his friends. We're sitting across the table from one who knows us and gave himself up for us. We far too often value ourselves, our own needs, our own wants, our own, our own, our own, to the point then that although we won't say it, we see others around us as tools for our own comfort. Christ convicts us that he calls them friends. We are called to call them friends. In light of the sacrifice he has done for us, we then can look at our neighbor and say, because of the love that God has for you and for me, I can sacrifice for you. So when we think about what sacrifice is, I think sacrifice teaches us our value in Christ. The disciples watching on the way to the cross, you, this Lent and Good Friday, watching on the way to the cross, 
Let it speak to you, your value. You are a friend of God. He gave himself up for you. Greater love has no one than this, than to give himself up for his friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. The love of God changing the name that you give yourself. Understanding our value in Christ. Then understanding the value of others in Christ. It's not just who I am, but it's also who my neighbor is. And if that's who my neighbor is, then I can model this love of God by sacrificing for my neighbor, by giving up things that I need so that my neighbor can have, by putting my neighbor's needs in front of my own. And the world doesn't know what to do with this kind of sacrificial love. It doesn't know what to do with people like us who willingly give our time, our money, our gifts to a place that takes it and gives it to other people and blesses other people through it. Well, but, but can't that benefit you? But what if you had that $1,000? What if, what if you had that time? Couldn't that benefit you? Yes, but I see value in that person. I see value in this place getting the gospel out, so I have to give. I have to sacrifice what I have so that they can have also. And then it seats their good over our own. The cross is God seeking our good over his own. It was painful. It was scary. He prayed so intensely for him to pass the cup that he sweat drops of blood. But he knew that in doing so, the world would change. Sacrifice does not make sense to the world because we are good at our selfish ambition. We are good at, like the woman in the garden, saying, yeah, I want to be like God. That's our default move. And so, if we circle back and we consider this again, next time you stoop out ice cream for you and the next person next to you, in this simple action, acknowledge the fact that you want one of those bowls. (laughs) You have a preference. But be willing to say, which would you like? I'd love to give you what you want over what I want. And this small sacrifice can lead to greater and greater sacrifices. So that the love that we share, the love that we model, the love that we give is shown in modeling the love of the cross so that we understand that true love requires sacrifice and that the the greatest pursuer in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, is willing to sacrifice everything to be with you. And he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And so we have the privilege of receiving that kind of love 
and then challenging ourselves to model that for others.